0: and welcome to the Cavit Cast. I'm one of your hosts Carter
1: and I'm your other host Maddie. Today we will be talking about the first book in the Princess Diaries series. We are dividing this first book into four sections. Today we're reading up until the section labeled later on Saturday on the day October 4th. Um, this might be a different page in whatever book you have. In my version, which was printed in 2001, it's page 76.
0: And in my version, which was printed in 2008, it's page 61. So I think a really good place for us to start would just kind of be going over a little bit of um, an overview and summary of this book. Um, So The Princess Diaries, if you don't know, (laughs) is a novel by Meg Cabot. Um, And I'm just going to read the excerpt on the back of the book, which is... What? A princess? Me? Yeah, right. Mia Thermopolis is pretty sure there's nothing worse than being a 5 foot 9 flat-chested freshman who also happens to be flunking algebra. Is she ever in for a surprise? First, Mom announces that she's dating Mia's algebra teacher. Then, Dad has to go and reveal that he is the crown prince of Genovia. And guess who still doesn't have a date for the cultural diversity dance? Yep, that is the back of this book. <laughs> Does yours say anything different, Maddie?
1: Mine says the same thing.
0: Okay, great. Um, personally, I hadn't read this book um, up until this point. I'm obviously now what 61 pages in <laughs> um but kind of like my first perceptions are the fact that like obviously I saw the movie the movie was such a big deal in what 2000 something when it came out when did the movie come out
1: It's an excellent question let me do some research it came out in 2001 so like right after the book came out like they probably like optioned the the book like right when it came out.
0: The book came out in two thousand, huh. so it probably was like a year after. It probably was an instant hit, as the yeah. kids say.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I was gonna say a viral sensation, but maybe we should not say viral sensation.
0: <laughs> viral is not the term <laughs> I would definitely use at the moment. Um, um hit, um, a jam. Um, I don't know any other words that are synonyms
1: popular with the youth.
0: Um, groovy. What? No, that's not it.
1: <laughs> but what was your first um your first impression of it compared to your knowledge of the movie?
0: So, my first impression was a lot um about the fact that actually I didn't know this book came out in um diary format. I definitely thought it was more of a novel format. Maybe I just lived under a rock. Who knows, I also was uh, four when this book came out in 2000. Um, you yeah. were much younger than that. I was. <laughs> you were two. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... I was a youth. Yes, we we both were very young. <laughs> we both are very young. Um, yeah, but those were just kind of my main thoughts about it. I definitely... Also um, was not expecting for her dad to be alive. That was another big thing that just kind of um, shocked me, I think, while I was reading at the beginning.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. That's definitely a huge difference from the movies. Um, that and the, and the fact that it's set in New York and not California.
0: Yeah, I did actually start out um, reading this book through audiobook, um, and I, it, actually, Anne Hathaway is the person who reads the audiobook, so it was definitely, uh, like,
1: really? I,
0: yeah, <laughs> so. Oh, I need to listen to this. Yeah, I was listening to Anne Hathaway read The Princess Diaries to me. It was very surreal. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What is um, your perception, maybe, now, um, going back and reading this?
1: Uh, it's interesting because I read these books a lot as a kid. Um, it's been quite a few years since I have. And I remember, um, I very much remember when I read them at first, I was like, oh yeah, this is super relatable. Like, these are things I'm going through. Or even if they weren't things I was going through, they were like, like Mia's emotions were all, are all very, um, very dramatic. And I remember when I was reading them, I was like, oh yeah, this is how I feel all the time too. And yes,
0: <laughs> yeah. How old were you when you first read the book?
1: Huh. I think I was probably in third or fourth grade. So young. Young, yeah, yeah. Like 10 or 11.
0: Yeah. And um I believe The Princess Diaries is marketed as a YA book rather than middle grade yes. or... Um, a children's book, so you were definitely even young to read it at the time, too.
1: Yeah. I think the movie had just been such a big hit, and I had watched the movies and loved them so much that I was like, oh, I need to read these books.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that was a very, very relatable fact (laughs) for kids at the time. (laughs) So why don't we just take a moment from here and just kind of dive right into maybe some um, of our biggest thoughts about the book um i definitely have something that i would like to bring up that is on page three um which <laughs> very early on in the book so there is a description of josh on page three that um is very high school i think that <laughs> is like the best way to describe it um I had friends that uh, definitely acted this way. I, I actually I would argue that it was almost more middle school than high school for me, but mm. similar s- similar age range, um, <laughs> where um, she just kind of just obsessively talks about this guy named Josh, and um, I think it's really interesting now as someone who um, I felt like I was a very like performative um straight person at the time
1: (laughs) what a mood I was thinking about this exact thing
0: yeah I I definitely had this exact like interaction with the guys that I would talk about but it was only because I was acting whatever those other kids were and for a long time I thought my reactions to them were very um I thought my reactions and my my thoughts and my um the way I discussed guys at that time was very um over the top now that I look back but in reality I was probably just mirroring what was happening around me um especially as I read this book I'm like yes this is the way I would talk this is the way my friends would talk but I feel like in a lot of ways like it was what I was mirroring and imaging because I wanted to fit in
1: yeah I very much feel that I very much feel like as a young queer person who like did not understand my attraction to other people yet really I sort of just picked a person, and I was yes. like, this is the person I have a crush on, I guess. It's the person I'm supposed to.
0: And I chose a new one every year, you know, to keep them guessing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Switch
0: it up. And it wasn't like I was blind. Like, I chose the people that were objectively attractive and would have no interest in me so that I yeah. never had to act on it. I was very smart. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I talk to other people and I'm like, who do you have a crush on? And I was like, yeah, same, same me too. Yeah. um,
0: I will say in middle school, I had friends that we um, numbered our crushes so that whenever we were talking about them, no one knew who we were talking about. So for example, (laughs) we'd be like, oh, you know, crush 323 and um, crush 626. um." I love
1: this code.
0: (laughs) Yes, I did just name the stitch numbers. Yes, that is how this started. We chose stitch numbers. Wow. Iconic. Yeah. Um. So when, basically what I'm saying though, back to the book, is that um, when she talks about these guys and even when they list their list of hottest guys on page nine, it feels very much like I was taken back to that performative space. Like, I was like, this is what I used to fake and act like I used to have lists of um hot guys in notebooks and that we pass back and forth in class and things like that
1: that reminds me I found a list recently that the girl that I in hindsight definitely had a crush on in like fifth grade would come over to my house and we would talk about the boys in our class and she would like make a list of them and like give like notes to the like notes about them and about her feelings on them and it very much felt like this book.
0: <laughs> I can just imagine it's very much like burn book <laughs> style only it's only compliments.
1: <laughs> imagine I was like sitting up on my bunk bed and like just chatting just gossiping about <laughs> boys and she is also very very much not straight now which is funny. Great how much we feel like we gotta we gotta like people when we're young because we feel the pressure to be straight.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I would say that, like, I mean, of the performative crushes I definitely had at that age, um, uh, probably mm, two of them were real. <laughs> two <laughs> at most.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so hard for me, honestly, now to even differentiate between what was real and what was just like me deciding something
0: that's so valid
1: because at the time I didn't realize that it was fake you know at the time I was convinced that I like these people
0: yeah absolutely and I mean I will say that like one of the two yes he is now gay great I love this for both of us um
1: (laughs) 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 one of my favorite things about these books are is me is just like little like like little notes at the end of things that's either just like list of things she has to do or straight up notes from her classes usually her math classes and I love that because I did that all of the time all of my old notebooks are like three-fourths like either stories I wrote or like just like diary entries or anything and then one-fourth just like oh shit I forgot this book I forgot my math notebook today I guess I'm taking my notes in here did you do that too? Do you have old notebooks that are like half things that you wrote for fun and half just school notes?
0: Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but <laughs> I personally, um, my Capricorn energy probably very much came out in uh, how I took notes for class and I was very serious about note taking and had a very really well rehearsed system and I had a subject. Yeah, for... I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely not a mix my notes kind of person, but um, in middle school, uh, kind of back to what I was, actually, it relates back to the, uh, all the guys we were talking about, my friends and I had a notebook that we'd pass between classes to write each other notes, and so like one person would have it one class, and then you'd write a note, and then you'd send it to the person in the next class, and they'd write a note during that class, and those kind of things. Um and I will say that sometimes really important information did end up in that notebook. For example, because my friends weren't so good at school, um, I tended to be like, all this information, oh, also this teacher says this is on the test and underline it. And then I'd continue writing my <laughs> note <laughs> because I didn't want my friends to fail.
1: <laughs> Excellent. I love that. Uh, Y'all were looking out for each other. And there there's a bit in in this first section we read where where Mia and Lily are tra- like exchanging notes in their notebook and I'm like ah what a like what a classic school experience. Honestly
0: it is. It's very much like ours were like um the black and white composition notebooks though.
1: My friends and I would very rarely write notes during actual class because like we didn't want to get in trouble because that was us. But w- during lunch like we just like went to town on my notebooks.
0: I love that. <laughs> when you actually could talk, you were writing notes to each other.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now that you put it that way, yeah. wow. Yeah.
0: Oh.
1: Um. Relatedly to kind of the way that Mia writes, um, she has a habit of putting three, like three question marks or three exclamation points on things for emphasis, and. I am, I have this habit, like, I do this all of the time, and I am totally convinced now in hindsight that I got this habit from these books, and I did not think about this until reading these this time around, but I read these books super young, and I don't think I had this habit before that, and I do that all the time, and I always have.
0: I love that. Um, I do that but because I like exclamation points, but that's different. (laughs) You? You like exclamation points? It's not like I have an exclamation point tattoo. Oh we're exposing myself to these listeners aren't we?
1: (laughs) We truly are. It's pretty great. It's a good tattoo. Thank you. Carter is an exclamation point.
0: I am just as a human. Um, So like a little bit of what I mentioned earlier with the in regards to the fact that uh, her dad is actually in these books and like not dead <laughs> and grandmare is a little bit uh less in these books which um she just calls her grandma in the movie I believe not grandmare which is fr- very yeah. French um which also it that's a... I think grandmarie yeah okay I I don't know it's... or at least
1: I think yeah
0: um, just mare is how you say it in French, so I just thought it was the same.
1: Oh, no, yeah, no, that's, that might be it, but I'm pretty sure in the movies it's grammar
0: Oh, is it? It could be. Yeah. Um, I think it's mare in French. It's been a long time since I took a French class.
1: <laughs> we gotta go talk to some French people.
0: <laughs> really? Actually, that's a good question of, um, maybe the subject of Genovia itself. Is it is, does it have a lot of French influence? Because from my understanding, it was supposed to be, like, basically France and Spain combined and had a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's, like, off, yeah, it's, like, I'm pretty sure an island off the coast of France or, like, in the area.
0: Yeah, I mean, France and Spain are pretty close to each other, so. That, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Also, that brings me to the point that Genovia that is mentioned to only be a mile long, which I just can't get over.
0: That's the tiniest country. That's so small. I can't can't even, like, comprehend. Like, going to the store, why would you need royalty for that? I have a lot of questions. Who exactly are you ruling (laughs) over? Like, five people? (laughs) I
1: walked more than a mile to pick up my prescription today. Like, I don't understand how small this country is.
0: I just have a lot of questions about Genovia in itself, though.
1: <laughs> right? How does this country work? Why do they need royalty? How how does their government? Why
0: do they need a government?
1: At some point, <laughs> at some point, Mia mentions that none of the citizens are like they don't pay
0: taxes at all. Which, like, when your city, when your whole country is a mile long, maybe you don't need to.
1: Right. <laughs> I wonder how, like, how long it is the other way around, like, I wonder what the square mileage of Genovia is.
0: Like, I have a lot of questions about how this country works, how it's run, if it could actually exist. I wish there was someone who could tell me these things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is totally not something that I thought of at all as a kid, like, all of this just brushed right past me, but now I'm like, how? Why? What?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, like, when I'm a kid, I'm like, yeah, just add an extra country in there. No one's gonna notice. (laughs) So, back back a bit to the topic of, um, parents. Um, so, the fact that, um, the dad's alive, though, their custody arrangement doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how did she not know she was a princess if the whole country is one mile long and she, like, sees them all the time and like sees other people around them every summer apparently summer right
1: yeah she goes to this country every summer
0: how how like you would know (laughs) i don't know how to tell you but you would
1: know did they did they put out like a royal decree to everyone in the country being like hey hey mia's coming be chill be chill don't mention it to her be cool
0: be cool be cool (laughs) Don't mention the words queen or prince to me, to my face. Don't even acknowledge me by my title, which everyone would have done. That's the thing. Like anyone, any maid, any like any other position in which are serving them, which us, I'm going to assume with the way Grand Mare is portrayed or Marie, however you say it, is portrayed. She's going to have people serving her during this time at this like country home there's no way that like they aren't going to address her by her title rather than her name or anything they're going to address her by her title and so how did she not know yeah
1: (laughs) and like this is minor spoilers for the rest of the book but she she is like very much a person who would not like would not be cool with people ever not like not calling her by her titles and she's like I can imagine her like wanting Mia to know from a young age that she's a princess. So it's pretty wild to me that she never said anything.
0: I have a feeling that from <laughs> what I know so far about the book yeah. and uh, what I've read so far, everything I know about the queen and Ju- and Julie Andrews in the movie version of the queen, I'm going to like Julie Andrews more than the book version. It just I have a feeling.
1: <laughs> Dowager princess specific like technically but okay. you know
0: Okay, Doger Princess.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no. She's we'll touch on this more when we actually meet her for real, but her their characters are very different.
0: I just I just have so many questions about that time she spent there. <laughs> How do they
1: How? do it? <laughs> and when she's when no, I was just gonna say when she's clothes shopping, she's always she's also like, oh yeah, Grammarie calls in to the stores and has have has them open for us before before they open so that we can go shop, and she just never questioned this.
0: I listen. There's a lot of things you don't question at that age, and I accept that, and I accept that that might be like the view that we're coming from here, but mm. there are some things that you can't look past. Um, how little does Mia just not question things though too? Right? I just, she's not curious. And
1: it's funny. It's funny because in other ways, she's, like, very much, like, anti-authority and, like, like I'm going to question everything and, like, no, I want to go join Greenpeace. Which I love. But, like, she also doesn't question these very obvious things.
0: Which, by the way, I love. I love everything about that. Right? She's an
1: icon. Uh- I love her.
0: <laughs> she, it's, there's something also to be said about, like, she did a whole report on this country and you wouldn't I remember being young and being interested and like we had to do like family trees and things like that in school Mm. um and I wonder how doing a report on Genovia she didn't I know like she just didn't come across and didn't put two and two together with the prince's name but when you look into that a bit more like you're like hey this guy's name is very similar to my dad's (laughs) (laughs) just very similar wikipedia is wikipedia okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) or wouldn't you see the dowager princess's name and be like that's my grandmother's name
0: yeah would would you not question those kind of things yeah and I I don't know. Maybe this again is me looking at it with adult eyes, and I understand. I I also want to keep in mind for both for both of us, for me and you, and for anyone listening, that um, these are children's books, YA books. So like sometimes these kind of things happen, um, and sometimes <laughs> this like understanding. But also like I want us to look critically at like the way that um, these YA authors are portraying these children because also I think you're not giving Mia enough um what's the word I'm looking for like authority enough brain power intelligence intelligence (laughs) you're not giving (laughs) intelligence you're not giving Mia enough intelligence to like figure this out on her own before this moment because the thing is a 15 year old would have figured this out sooner
1: yeah that's true yeah and like to be clear we say this with all the love in our hearts but like sometimes you look at books that you love very much with adult eyes and you're like oh I see why I did not question this as a kid but as an adult I kind of want more
0: yeah or we as adults think that um children aren't as intelligent as uh especially teenagers they aren't as intelligent or as curious or as um We just don't treat children like full humans sometimes Yeah. rather than um, the half human that we see in our head because of our experience as adults. So that's also- we don't like
1: give them their own agency a lot of the time. That's it.
0: Agency. We're looking for the word agency. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, My um, lit teachers in college would be so proud of me. (laughs) All right. So maybe we should um, talk a bit about um, the most cis moment in this book.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. We both separately were like, oh, do cis people do this? Which is that Mia very much, like, is very obsessed with measuring her chest.
0: Is that something, is that something I missed? Is that something my friends just never told me about? Like, this is, like,
1: deeply unrelatable to me.
0: But yeah, no, it's deeply unrelatable to me, too. Like, I just, I don't. It does not comprehend in my head. Um, I will say, like, the closest that my brain has ever come to this kind of conversation or this kind of thought or, I guess, measurement or anything like this um, was one time when I was about 12. um, My friend told me about how her and her twin sister um, were taught how to get better, bigger, and uh, I said better, but it was bigger, and... um, bust by doing this chant and i'm going to share this chant with all of you mm, for wow. anyone who wants to grow a bust <laughs> and, give me the deets. yeah um, <laughs> top surgery maddie <laughs>
1: <laughs> give me the anti-top surgery chant
0: <laughs> this is the um as we are now going to call it the anti-top surgery chant um, I must, I must, I must have bust. And the way to do this oh, is no. by moving your arms from by your side out and then back in as you chant. So you go... Like a cheerleader? Like, like you're doing push-ups. So okay. it's I must, I must, I must have bust. And apparently if you do this for 15 minutes every morning, your oh, bust no. will grow. I don't That's know if long. I believe that. Um, but that is, um the thing I was told when I was 12
1: imagine you just walk in on your 12 year old (laughs) child doing that for 15 minutes I'd be like I'm what where did I go wrong okay so there's a bit that's very funny to me about Lily's show Lily tells it like it is and an episode in which she does a party of the Blair Witch Project called the Greenwich Project Mm -hmm. but she Mia mentions that the whole point of it is that tourists always call it Greenwich, as it's spelt, and I would just like to ask you, as someone who has come to visit you in New York City, did I, a tourist, also call it Greenwich, because I'm 99% sure I did.
0: Honestly, um, I want to say that I kept calling it Greenwich, and therefore you adjusted accordingly, um, and didn't get a chance to say it without me saying it first.
1: <laughs> I, like, I definitely made the same mistake.
0: So, and I would have corrected you. Though, I will say, I know when we passed Houston Street, you did say Houston. <laughs> Listen, how was I
1: supposed to know?
0: It is spelled Houston, and believe me, I have made that mistake myself. Yeah. So, because I am not a New York City native, I am a transplant, so... <laughs> Lily herself is just like a really interesting character though um an absolute um I mean this wholeheartedly Meg Cabot I'm very sorry please don't um JK rolling this but um Lily's a bicon
1: she is you're so right
0: Lily is a bi icon. She um, just gives absolute bisexual vibes to me. It might be because she has therapist parents, which (laughs) in itself is very funny. Um, And she's just
1: constantly like bringing up things that she learned from them that you can tell she only like 90% of the way understands.
0: Not even that, like, 50%. She's, like, <laughs> just repeating, like, regurgitating exactly what they say to her. <laughs> um, but it's a very, like, feminist and very queer energy. She's awesome. But I just, I, I'm i absolutely in love with it. Um, it's, it's so good.
1: I love her show where she's just like, y'all are just gonna listen to me. You're gonna listen to what I say right now. It's called Lily Tells It Like It Is. She is also at some point described as looking like a pug, which is a wild description of a person to me, but I also know exactly what they're talking about.
0: Exactly. Yeah, but the actress who plays her also very much like resembles exactly what is described.
1: Yeah, no, they, they cast her very well.
0: She might be the best cast in the whole thing.
1: <laughs> Agreed.
0: Yeah, I also, like, we should also just, like, not ignore it, is the fact that, um that Mia is also, gives off some queer energy too, like quite honestly. Um, Oh yeah. Her, like, the fact she's vegetarian, she kind of falls into this alternative idea, but that's also very New York. So it's also hard to separate what is very New York and what is very queer um, in some of this. Yeah,
1: I do like that you just implied that all vegetarians (laughs) are queer.
0: Listen, (laughs) if you were to ask all of Nebraska of the vegetarians, 75% of them would be queer. but she also like is an activist she wants to join Greenpeace she uh she her mom tempts her with a car and it backfires she's like cars are bad for the environment no it's just it's so good <laughs> oh, oh, I love we her. we love this activist also it I think that that kind of sentiment and that kind of statement um very much relates to the activism that we see today with gen z so like this book isn't necessarily like Mm. it hasn't lost its touch if that makes sense with their views because at the time when this came out i'm sure the views were a little bit more like you're you're just that artsy more radical version now this is like mainstream this is the mainstream gen z kid activist kid like (laughs)
1: Yeah, very much so, and I didn't know anyone like that when I was young. I don't know, I had, I recently made the realization that my roommate, um, is the first vegetarian person I ever met, and I met them about five years ago, so, uh, yeah, I realize now when I read these books as a kid, I did not know any vegetarians. Mia Thermopolis is the first vegetarian (laughs) I ever met.
0: (laughs) I love that. So, um think maybe we should turn into the really serious topic that I think we have to discuss. Um we do,
1: yes. There's well there's
0: kind of two. Um the description of how they describe sexual harassment on page eight. Um it's a very um what's the word I'm looking for? Not nonchalant, but like it almost it's almost like a throwaway like line in there. Yeah,
1: it's like a joke. It's like a joke
0: and it's that in itself I think shows a little bit of its age Um, Mm. but also that's kind of like a problematic viewpoint to have Um, it's here's what I'm trying to say it's a very problematic thing to bring up and just excuse the way it's excused it's a bad example I think to the kids that might be reading this Um, but I think also the kids today are also more aware of what sexual harassment is and a little bit more aware of how um it's wrong and bad um yeah
1: agreed yeah I also do very much remember you know at the time when this book came out and like when I was in middle school jokes about sexual harassment were the norm and like they are very much not okay but I I know that when I read this book that that line did not even register to me
0: yeah absolutely it's definitely a sign of its time it's a sign of um a lot of things it's just definitely something that threw me off while reading
1: yeah absolutely
0: maybe the next part we should discuss is norman yeah what a huh
1: what a what a character
0: so i get the point of this is to um kind of bring in the idea that they are in new york and that um some scary people sometimes are in new york we see it on tv we understand that um, so the fact that it says, anyway, one day, a few weeks ago, Norman, the foot fetishist, found us in the park and started chasing us around, waving $20 bills and trying to get us to take off our shoes. Um, That's messed up.
1: Very much so. Um,
0: I don't know what else to say on that. Yeah.
1: Yikes. And you're right that it does very much do its job of like what I'm pretty sure what it intends to do is to show you what like what kind of environment these books are set in like what Mia's day-to-day life is like but like wow
0: yeah um the fact that they are also like children dealing with this like it's it's a lot for a ch- for someone 15 if that kind of thing happened that's scary that's a lot to handle uh there's also a line on page 53 the page after that um, where it's, I know it's not page 53 in your book, but I'm referencing the page in mine. <laughs> um, she makes a note about how Norman has kind of thick glasses and I bet he couldn't actually hit anything, even with a machine gun. Another thing that I think's of, it's time because, uh, guns.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like a very, that was just like a very casual.
0: It, it's a very casual mention of the gun point. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, from here, maybe we should move into some behind-the-scenes info uh, that I kind of found. I researched a bit. So I found some interviews with Meg Cabot from roughly about the time this was published and roughly about the time the movie came out. Um, For example, this one that I found was in 2002 with HarperCollins. Um, And Meg Cabot talked a bit about how... The, the story itself came to be and how she came up with the idea of the princess diaries and where it all came from so let me just quote it i was inspired to write the princess diaries when my mom after the death of my father began dating one of my teachers just as Mia's mom does in the book I have always had a thing for princesses. My parents used to joke when I was little. I did a lot of insisting that my real parents, the king and queen, were going to come and get me soon and that everyone had to start being a lot nicer to me. So I stuck a princess in the book just for kicks and voila, The Princess Diaries was born. The voice of Mia, of course, is taken directly from my own diaries that I kept when I was in high school. I still have them. Though I'm the only one I'm the only one who will ever be allowed to read them. I was pretty much a huge geek in high school, although I was pretty involved with the school's drama group. Most of what's in my journals from those days is about boys, boys, boys. And that's why I am the only one who is allowed to look at them. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> I love
1: that she took pretty much direct inspiration for these books from her own life.
0: I love that too. It's definitely like really shows us like why you found these books so relatable mm. when you were young and especially why um, I'm sure so many people do find these books relatable because the voice itself is based on the voice of an actual teenager. <laughs> yeah, I also think it's really interesting that she pointed out that uh, her journals from those days were about boys, boys, boys especially since um that's something that i think we're going to continue seeing um both in this book and in meg cabot's other books they are definitely boy-centric mm. boy-focused they are with um all female protagonists um and all kind of have a straight loved interest which is the whole point of this podcast isn't it
1: <laughs> it is indeed i Reading this quote and reading this book again makes me wish that I had done more like writing of journals and diaries when I was that age. Oh yeah, me too. Because I don't have much from that from that time period.
0: Yeah, all I have is my memory and my friends' memories.
1: Yeah, some old Tumblr posts.
0: Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a blog spot out there that we could probably find from my middle school years. That
1: could be a fun segment sometime. Oh god,
0: can we not? <laughs>
1: Absolutely actually, I not. think I did
0: delete it. I was I was very good about like clearing out my internet history at some point, probably when I got to high school and realized that middle school internet history is very embarrassing. So according to an interview I found from Meg Cabot um, with Scholastic from about the time when the books came out, so roughly about 2000, um, she actually used to go by two pseudonyms prior to just um, writing everything under Meg Cabot. Mm. There was... Jenny Carl and Patricia Cabot and this is because she was writing for various publishers and I think from my understanding of the publishing world is when you write for various publishers you have to have multiple names you write under you can't write under the same name because the publisher then owns that name almost mm. um, yeah
1: well it's exciting there's even more stuff to add to our list of yeah
0: we got so much to read we do
1: All right, we've already chatted about this a little bit, but I think it's worth mentioning how the diary entry format um, really impacts the way that the story is told and makes it a pretty unique read.
0: It definitely gives just kind of a different portrayal to these stories, like both in the reading experience as well as in the telling experience. Like obviously your uh, ninth grade English teacher would be very proud of you if you remembered um, <laughs> an unreliable narrator, <laughs> <laughs> um, which essentially is the are these books they're all told in diary format, so the whole unreliable narrator thing like really stands true. How much of what Mia um, is telling us is true?
1: Right. How much of it is just her very her very specific like interpretation of what's going on, and. Absolutely. I think that the I think that the format makes the books a lot of fun to read, which I think is awesome. And I think that it also contributes to what we were talking about before about how these books feel very authentically like the voice of a 14-year-old.
0: Mia gets to have a very distinct personality because of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm you really get to hear, like, what she's like and what she's thinking about.
0: Mm-hmm. I also think that um, maybe for, um, as, so James Patterson has a thing about um, this idea of reluctant readers, um, hmm. basically kids that don't want to read or aren't interested in reading. So he writes a lot of books that are towards the reluctant le- reader for, like, middle grade. Okay. To get kids encouraged into reading. I think this book also does a similar thing. Um, with the diary format, it kind of brings in people, especially kids, who might not necessarily be really interested in the books that they're given at school. They are interested in, like, that boring, same old, same old format of first-person or third-person storytelling that we get, um... most of the books we read this gives these kids an opportunity to read a book in a new way and it kind of is an exciting way Um, and I think it also makes the books very fast-paced and easy to get through which gives you a sense of accomplishment Um, Mm. which is something that um, definitely encourages kids to read more and read faster and keep reading it gets them hooked
1: it makes it an enjoyable experience and it makes it fun and I think Going into our next segment, one of the things that makes these books the most fun is that Mia loves to make lists. Um, One of the first lists we see in these books is actually a list that um, her best friend Lily made that Mia does some commentary on of their top 10 hottest guys, Um, which was very funny. and I thought that a fun segment for us to do would be making our own lists. So here is Maddie and Carter's list of top 10 hottest people.
0: Because we're not just limiting it to guys. <laughs> we're very
1: queer here. This is going to be in no particular order because I cannot do that. Um, all right. My number one is going to be, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Mika. <laughs> Who is one of my absolute favorite musicians? He is a queer pop star. Um, he lives in France, I believe, at the moment. Um, he's Lebanese. He um, has been making music since like two thousand nine ish. This is not a Mika podcast. Could be, <laughs> but he's he's real cute. His curls are very good. I I aspire to have the curls that he has. You need to
0: make a playlist that is. Uh the princess tired diaries told by mika and just various mika songs that describe the princess diaries <laughs> oh i love this yeah. so number two is going to be again no surprise to anyone also hosting this podcast but uh the love of my life halsey <laughs> um she deserves to be towards the top she's just absolutely beautiful her voice is just beautiful i know there's lots of like hot takes on the internet about her voice but um i've seen her sing live i've seen her just honestly destroy the place and how great she is um and <laughs> i just she's so pretty
1: <laughs> she really is so i pretty. also <laughs> was walking past a street today called Halsey Street and I was like oh I know that this is going to be Carter's number one I will eat my shoe if Halsey is not on this list
0: (laughs) you would be correct
1: (laughs) Um, my number three is um going to be Jamila Jamil who I think is like one of the most beautiful people ever uh yeah she's amazing her hair I realized that I also was talking about Mika's hair but her hair is so shiny she's she's great
0: <laughs> maddie just has a thing for hair
1: her accent's amazing oh, yeah. and also i'm 99 percent sure her accent that she does on the good place is not her like she has like a much more like like not not as posh accent in real life which is super interesting to me
0: my number four is dev patel um he mm. oh god of the cis men in the universe <laughs> i love him (laughs) he is very hot very attractive very much um my type
1: my number five is gonna be brendan yuri and i really hope that i did not steal one from you damn it (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: okay it's our
1: shared list (laughs) it's true (laughs) he can be five and six
0: (laughs) he's not taking two spots i'll think of someone else
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay i um have you ever heard the phrase "life goals or wife goals"? No. So it was there was a post going on in Tumblr that was like being a gay woman is hard because you look at at a girl and you're like "life goals or wife goals." Mm-hmm. I really wish there was like a mask version of that phrase because, like, as when I was younger, I'd look at Brendan Urie and I'd be like, "All right, but do I want to marry him or do I want to look like Brendan Urie or both?" Like, that I is don't understand. Relatable.
0: Yeah, so my number six is uh, going to, again, I don't think surprise anyone. Um, This person was the first person I admitted to having a crush on that was a girl. Um, And it's Emma Watson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. She's so pretty. She's
0: so pretty and so British.
1: (laughs) My number seven is going to be William Jackson Harper, and I realized that I just listed two different people from the cast of The Good Place, but y'all, they're all so pretty. Um, yeah, William Jackson, have you ever seen William Jackson Harper's arms? Because they're
0: great. My number eight is going to be Maya Mitchell. Hmm. Um, I love the Fosters. I love her Australian accent. Um, As you can tell, we both kind of have things for accents here.
1: accents just, and dark hair
0: uh, accents and dark hair that's all it takes
1: <laughs> my number nine oh I'm going away from the dark hair thing but my number nine is going to be Taylor Swift
0: oh damn <laughs> she's real pretty
1: she's oh no was she was she on your list
0: no no just like oh damn like I wasn't expecting that one
1: no she's so pretty And she was also, I'm pretty sure, the first, like, the first girl that I admitted on having a crush on. Like, I was thinking about this after you said that. But I remember being in, like, fourth grade and watching the music video to our song and being like, this isn't very heterosexual of me.
0: So number 10. Number Mm. 10 is very important, both because we're gay and because I've had a crush on this person since they were on Disney Channel. Haley Kayoko. Excellent. Haley Kayoko, I just, I fell in love with her and Lemonade Mouth, and then it repeated with Wizards of Waverly Place. Um, and I slowly watched her career until she released all this gay music, and I lost my goddamn mind because I was like, oh my god, wait, this woman I've had a crush on since Disney Channel is queer? <laughs> so it's been great. It's been great time. <laughs>
1: I actually never watched Lemonade
0: Mouth. (gasps) That's a bad take.
1: Right? I need to fix that. To be
0: fair, uh, Disney has messed up a lot of um, movies, um, including one of Meg Cabot's books that we're going to read later that I love a lot. They messed that up in movie version, and I'm still upset about it, and I won't get off this pedestal until it collapses under me.
1: (laughs) It deserves better, and we'll talk about it more later
0: so that's it <laughs> we yep. finished a podcast that's our podcast
1: <laughs> y'all
0: yeah this is our first one we finished it we did this
1: yeah we did it we're podcasters now all right so next week we are going to read up until the section titled later on sunday on the day october 12th um in my book it's page 142 and carter what what page is it in yours uh page
0: 114 Be sure to follow us at The Cabot Cast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, I guess you like things on Facebook, don't you? Um, And check out our website, thecabotcast.com.
1: Dear Diary, thanks for listening.